In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to navigate life in the light of faith. I'm your host for this episode. Uh, my name is Luke Arredondo. I'm the director of faith formation here at the St. Philip Institute. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking with you uh, a little bit about the apparitions at Fatima, Portugal in 1917. Um, I have written a small book uh, about the Oh My Jesus prayer, which we have on our store on our website. And the apparitions at Fatima have been uh, an interesting thing for me to continue to reflect on and study since I was asked to write that book. And the reason that we're doing this podcast today, when it's airing on the 8th of July, is because we're very close to one of the really critical apparitions that happened in 1917, and that's the one from July. So in Portugal in Fatima in 1917, Mary appeared to uh, Sister Lucia, who she became Sister Lucia, and St. Francisco and St. Jacinta, starting in May on the 13th of every month through October. And all of those apparitions have some things in common. Uh, Mary would ask the children to sacrifice for others, to pray the rosary every day. She even tells Francisco he will go to heaven, but he has to pray many rosaries. And they're all kind of united by this theme of prayer and sacrifice. But the apparition on July 13th, which is, which is coming up here very shortly, is really a unique one. Uh, and so that's why we're going to spend some time on it here today. Uh, I want to do basically three things in this time that I have. Uh, I want to talk about the purpose of private revelation— as opposed to public revelation. So the Bible and the teachings of the magisterium we call public revelation. Um, Private revelation is anything that that has been revealed by God apart from that, and sometimes this is going to be approved and, you know, promulgated by the church, and other times it's just purely a private revelation. So we'll talk a little bit about that distinction because it's important as we think about any particular apparition, but especially approved ones, um, what what that means, why the church has uh, something to say to us about these revelations and what we're supposed to do with it. So that'll be the first point. I want to just talk about the limits and purposes of private revelation. Then second, I want to talk about what one of the things that happened on July 13th, and that is the revelation of the secrets of Fatima, the three secrets, or as Sister Lucia says in her memoirs, which I'll reference many times, the tripartite secret. It's one secret with three parts. So we'll talk about what those secrets are. It's a lot more mysterious sounding than it really is when you look at the uh, the memoirs, but uh, that's the second point, is to talk about the secrets. And then the third part is to talk about uh, the Oh My Jesus prayer. So if you've ever prayed the rosary with someone, uh, not everybody does this, but a lot of people do. At the end of a decade, you say the glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. 
after the glory be, some people will insert this prayer, O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Amen. That prayer was revealed on July 13th, 1917 at Fatima. So on July 13th, in other words, we have not just the three secrets, which is a pretty big deal, we also have this Oh My Jesus prayer that Mary asks the children specifically to insert into each decade of the rosary. And remember, she's already requested for them to pray the rosary every day. So she's asking for this prayer to be prayed many times throughout each day, and she sort of commands this to the children. So it's a really, really big deal, and that'll be the the third part. So first, let's start with this private versus public revelation, all right? If you ever go down the wormhole of the internet on Marian apparitions, boy, you can get to some interesting places. And Fatima, in particular, can sometimes be uh, this, this event that leads to lots of wild speculations, like that if we really could understand exactly what happened at Fatima, we know we will know how to predict the future. Uh, we can read church history or even world history. Uh, but Cardinal Sodano and uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict, they try to give us a little bit more sober of an approach with regard to interpreting Fatima. So in the year 2000, the third secret, which we'll get to in a little bit, was released. Accompanying that secret was uh, a collection of different texts. One of them is from Cardinal Ratzinger, one from Cardinal Sodano, and I really think it's important to kind of follow the reasoning that they lay out there about what is the purpose of private revelation like the secrets of Fatima. Um, So first, public revelation, the church teaches, is complete. In Dave Erebum, we have the line that, uh, that public revelation is finished. We should expect no further revelation after the message of the New Testament. Now, the magisterium does function in a way to sort of reveal deeper meanings or to draw out some of the fine points that are maybe not explicit in the scriptures, right, uh, and continues to do that. The The magisterium functions for us as a guide to uh, the, the revelation of the scriptures, but in terms of total unique revelation from God, basically the magisterium says in Vatican II, we don't expect any more. Public revelation is there for us. So what you need to know for the sake of your salvation is already accessible. We're not waiting on anything else. This isn't like, for instance, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, who think there was there was an additional revelation that needed to to happen. We don't we don't believe in that. As Catholics, we think revelation is finished with the end of the New Testament. Okay? Now, in a certain sort of way, what the magisterium does for us is help us to understand and apply this deposit of revelation, right? The deposit of the faith that, that Bishop Strickland talks so much about on this podcast. In a, in a related way, private revelation can play a similar role. And, and this is what Cardinal Ratzinger says. He says, private revelations, such as the apparitions at Fatima, are meant to help the faithful live out their faith in a particular context, okay? So a private revelation comes about sort of as a gift of the Holy Spirit, of, of, of Christ, to the church in a particular time 
with a message that is specific for that time, right? So another sort of private revelation that you can think of from the 20th century uh, would be the, the divine mercy message, right? And that came at a particular time in human history with a particular urgency for us to remember God's mercy. So private revelation helps us to live out our faith. It is an aid that is given to us. And it's important to remember even approved private revelations like Fatima, like Divine Mercy, they are useful and helpful to us, but they're not mandatory in the sense that when you pray the creed, you're not saying that you believe in the apparitions at Fatima or the message of Divine Mercy. The Church approves them and and offers them to the faithful as a way to help them live out their faith, but it is not some sort of mandatory part of our Catholic faith that we absolutely can't live without. Now, that being said, I think it's still important to, to, to look at them as, as closely as we can and try and benefit as much as we can from approved private revelations. Now, if it's unapproved, you're in a whole other ballpark, maybe not even a ballpark, you're in like something different altogether. Um, but when you have approved revelations, I, I do suggest, and I, I think it's prudent to, to recommend, that you investigate what you can. Follow the church's wisdom and see what there is that can help us, uh, because those revelations were approved, and that means the church thinks that they are useful and helpful. So one way to think of this in terms of Fatima is it's Mary, right, coming to visit her children, right? She's the mother of us all. Uh, we see this at the, at the uh, cross um, when she is given to John, the beloved disciple. Mary has maternal concern for us. She's, she is our mother. And when your mama comes to visit you to tell you to do something, uh, it's usually a good idea to listen, especially if that mother is the Blessed Mother, uh, who we know is in heaven. It's a little bit more than just a suggestion. So while at the same time that it's not an absolute necessity, I think we really should follow carefully and investigate what goodness we can draw from private revelations. So an approved private revelation has three components. This is uh, just following the document from the Vatican in 2000. Uh, Private revelation cannot contradict the faith. So if you believe that you were given a private revelation that, you know, you don't need baptism to be saved, that would not qualify as a legitimate private revelation because it contradicts the faith, or that Jesus was not, in fact, the Lord. You know, that's that's not going to fly. So first, it cannot contradict the faith. Second, it must be allowed for this revelation to be communicated. Um, and you see, that's interesting about Fatima. It takes time for it to be communicated exactly what's there, but it is allowed. Uh, so the first point, it cannot contradict the faith. It must be lawful to be communicated. And the third is that the faithful should be told to accept this revelation with prudence. So Cardinal Ratzinger puts it this way, and I love this. He says, it is a help which is offered, but which one is not obliged to use. So private revelations, in other words, will give us information, some sort of wisdom, some sort of insight that is helpful, uh, but that we still need to discern. And one thing um, about the Fatima apparitions that I want to emphasize in this in this episode is the importance of the rosary and also the Oh My Jesus prayer. So in some circles, when you talk about Fatima, boy, it becomes all about trying to read world history, trying to understand the wars of World War II, trying to understand uh, the communist revolution. And that's fine and interesting, 
But I think what's at the heart of the Fatima apparition is the importance of praying the rosary each and every day, as Mary so often asks the children there, and the addition of the Oh My Jesus prayer, which we'll spend some time on here at the end. So this is why you should look at these events from over a century, 1917, uh, over a century ago, not because, uh, you know, it's going to give us some sort of secret knowledge, some sort of gnosis, uh, but because it can help us to interpret how to live the faith in our contemporary context. So Cardinal Sedano said, even if the events to which the third part of the secret of Fatima refer now seem to be part of the past, listen to this, Our Lady's call to conversion and penance remains timely and urgent today. These are the kind of fundamental things about private revelations that can always be useful. So when you look at the third secret, or the the three secrets, which we'll talk about here in a second, sometimes it can be tempting to think, wow, especially if you read, and, and I think everybody should, uh, Fatima in Lucia's own words. Um, this is Sister Lucia who lived to be late in, in her late 90s before she passed in the early 2000s. Um, she, she explains what she saw, what she heard Mary tell her. It can be sort of a thrilling sort of uh, a thrilling thing to look at like, wow, she, she saw the Communist Revolution and World War II and all these things coming and think that that's the main point. When really, I think that that can that's sort of a distraction, or it's a secondary thing, but not primary. Um, you know, it, it is interesting that you look at some of the things that she said would happen, and they they do happen. Um, but Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict says that's not what prophecy is. So prophecy is not predicting the future. Okay, rather he says prophecy in the biblical sense is to explain the will of God for the present and therefore show us the right path to take for the future. Again, prophecy in the biblical sense does not mean to predict the future, but to explain the will of God for the present and therefore to show the right path to take for the future. Really, really key. So, Fatima, however interesting the memoirs might be, whatever secrets may be revealed and whatever predictions may have been there, that's not really the purpose of it. Uh, a lot of times I've, I've met people, I've, I've done many parish missions talking about the, the secrets of Fatima or the, the apparitions of Fatima, I keep saying secrets, but the apparitions, and people get frustrated. They tell, you know, why didn't the church, why didn't the world follow Our Lady's advice? Uh, it could have prevented World War II. And this sort of gets to the heart of, of what the purpose of this revelation is. It's that when we see a revelation like Fatima, it, it reminds us how difficult it can be to follow God's will. Even if people are told in a sort of miraculous kind of way, hey, look, these things are coming, it's not always easy to accept. Ratzinger, Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, says... Maybe this is why the revelations, uh, the apparitions, were given at Fatima to children. He says this, In these sort of revelations, in these visions, the person is led beyond the exteriority and is touched by the deeper dimensions of reality which become visible to him. Perhaps this explains why children tend to be the ones to receive these apparitions. Their souls are as yet little disturbed, 
and their interior powers of perception are still not impaired. In other words, children can listen to the message and not think, oh, I've just discovered the secret to, to world politics for the next couple of decades, over the next 50 years or 100 years, but rather they can see the true spiritual purpose that's really underlying everything. Um, so children are open to this kind of inspiration that Mary gave the children at Fatima, while a lot of times adults aren't. Or, and even if they were, they're often drawn astray from what's the real central message. So this is, I think, really important to remember about Fatima. Even Sister Lucia says she didn't know how to interpret the messages she was given. She says, it's not for me to interpret, but for the Pope to interpret. Um, and there's a lot to be taken from that. You know, imagine if you had been the one to receive these messages, how, how tempting it would be to try and share them with as many people as possible. Go post it on Facebook or Twitter and see how many followers you could get. Sister Lucia says, this is not even for me to do. It's for the Pope to do. So public versus private revelation. Again, private revelation is supposed to just assist us in living out the faith um, in, a in a concrete setting, a concrete context. And so what I want to suggest in, in the time here, and as I've done in, in many of the parish missions I've given, uh, is that the enduring value of Fatima is not the world history stuff, is not the political intrigue, um, it's not predicting the future. The real enduring value of Fatima, the prophecy of it, is finding the will of God through prayer, and in particular, the prayer of the rosary with the inclusion of the Oh My Jesus prayer after each decade. So that's private revelation versus public revelation and where Fatima fits into that. Again, it is a help which is given to us, but it's not something that we're obliged to use. Um, so, you know, use prudence, uh, but do do look at it at least, and hopefully watch the rest of this episode. You'll have some clue what's going on at Fatima. All right, so that's part one. Let's jump into part two and talk about the secrets of Fatima, or the so-called three secrets. And I say so-called because a lot of people talk about three secrets of Fatima, like they were three separate events. Uh, but Sister Lucia says that's really not how it worked. Uh, it sort of all flowed. It was one secret given in one apparition. It was one vision that flowed from part one to part two to part three. So it's a tripartite secret, if you will. Um, and it all happened on July 13th. It was one of the apparitions. All of this stuff happened. Now, there are three secrets in the sense that it's three parts, and they're not all unveiled to the public at the same time. That is its own story, and uh, we would require a lot to go into. Plenty of great books I'll recommend to you in the show notes uh, if you want to learn more about some of this stuff. But let's just jump right into what these secrets were, or what the parts of the secret were. So the first part of the secret of Fatima uh, is a vision of hell. So in earlier apparitions, Mary talks to Jacinta uh, and Lucia and um, Francisco, and Lucia asks, will they go to heaven? And Mary tells them, yes, they will. She, in fact, says, yes, you will be with me soon to Jacinta and Francisco, although she tells Francisco we'll have to pray many rosaries. 
but tells Lucia, you will go to heaven, but you have a different mission. I want you to tell people about all the things that are happening here. You're going to stay here to do that, and your cousins are going to go to heaven soon. So they already knew, they had been assured by Mary herself, that they were going to heaven. And it's kind of cool as you read through the different apparitions. Uh, it seems like almost every time Lucia asks about a particular family member or friend, to, can, can you tell me if they're in heaven, yes or no? And some of them are. Some of them know they're in purgatory. They'll be in purgatory till the end of the world. Uh, and then the message will, you know, the, the conversation will continue. So the children already know by July they, in fact, will be going to heaven. Now, they don't know exactly when, but they are assured of that. Then, in the July apparition, uh, Mary gives them a vision of what, of, of hell and what it looks like. So I'll read to you just briefly uh, Sister Lucia's description here and then have some comments. So a few, she says, a few moments after arriving at the Cova de Iria, near the home oak, where a large number of people were praying the rosary, we saw the flash of light once more, and a moment later, Our Lady appeared on the home oak. <laughs> What do you want of me? I asked. And she says, Mary replies, I want you to come here on the 13th of the next month to continue to pray the rosary every day in honor of Our Lady of the Rosary in order to attain peace for the world and the end of the war because only she can help you. Lucia says, I would like to ask you to tell us who you are and to work a miracle so that everybody will believe that you are appearing to us. Uh, Lucia had a lot of pushback, uh, and, and did also Francisco and Jacinta, uh, that they were making this all up. Even some of their family members refused to believe that this was miraculous. So this is why she asked this. And Mary replies, continue to come here every month. In October, I will tell you who I am and what I want, and I will perform a miracle for all to see and believe. Of course, that's the miracle of the sun. Lucia continues, I then made some requests, but I cannot now recall just what they were. What I do remember is that Our Lady said it was necessary for people to pray the rosary in order to obtain the graces they need during the year. And she continued, Sacrifice yourselves for sinners, and say many times, especially whenever you make some sacrifice, O oh Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Now, here is what people refer to as the first part of the secret. As Our Lady spoke these last words, she opened her hands once more, as she had done during the two previous months. The rays of light seemed to penetrate the earth, and we saw, as it were, a sea of fire. Plunged in this fire were demons and souls in human form, like transparent burning embers, all blackened or burnished bronze, floating about in the conflagration, now raised into the air by the flames that issued from within themselves, together with great clouds of smoke, now falling back on every side like sparks in huge fires, without weight or equilibrium, amid shrieks and groans of pain and despair, which horrified us and made us tremble with fear. And she notes, it must have been this sight which caused me to cry out as people say they heard me. 
She continues, The demons could be distinguished by their terrifying and repellent likeness to frightful and unknown animals, black and transparent like burning coals. Terrified as if to plead for succor, we looked up at Our Lady, who said to us so kindly and sadly, You have seen the hell where poor sinners go. So there's a little bit more here. I don't want to read the whole thing, but uh, this this vision of hell, Lucia and Jacinta and Francisco would later say, terrified them, shook them to their to their core, even though they already knew they weren't going to hell, they were going to heaven. They are terrified and and horrified at the prospect that anybody might wind up in this terrible sea of fire with the demons, you know, uh, floating around without weight and the, the, the groans and, and, and terrible shrieking. It horrified them and scared them and motivated them to pray, to sacrifice, to evangelize to others, and especially to sacrifice for people who didn't seem to know that this was a possibility, that they could wind up there. So I'll continue just a, a little bit more. Uh, so she says, you, you have seen the hell where poor, where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my immaculate heart. If what I say is to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The war is going to end, but if people do not cease offending God, a worse one will break out during the pontificate of Pius XI. When you see a knight illumined by an unknown, knight, an un, unknown light, Know that this is the great sign given to you by God that he is about to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecutions of the church and of the Holy Father. Okay. This now gets into the second part of the secret, which is to talk this discussion about Russia's errors. So first, here's hell. People go there. If you don't want that to happen, you need to follow my instructions and establish devotion to the Immaculate Heart. To prevent this these uh this from happening she says i i shall come to ask for the consecration of russia to my immaculate heart and the communion of reparation on first saturdays if my requests are heeded russia will be converted and there will be peace if not she will spread her errors throughout the world causing wars and persecutions of the church the good will be martyred the holy father will have much to suffer various nations will be annihilated in the end my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me. She will be converted, and a period of peace will be granted to the world. In Portugal, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved. Do not tell this to anybody. Francisco, yes, you may tell him. Important note here, Lucia says later, she she didn't even know Russia was a country, Okay, which sort of gets to the point of this, like predicting the future is kind of not the, the main part. Um, but the idea is hell is real. And they see this terrifying vision of it. People go there, and things are going to get worse if people don't follow my instructions. So here are the instructions. You know, we want to establish devotion to the Immaculate Heart. And she says, notice, Mary says, she will come to ask in the future for the consecration and for the communion of reparations. So Lucia actually receives the, the instructions much much a little bit later, seven or eight years later, about the specifics of what these will look like. After this discussion, this is the first and second part, first part about hell, second part about Russia, uh, she says, When you pray the rosary, say after each mystery, O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those who are in most need. 
And that ends the second part of the secret. The third part of the secret was not part of the the early edition of these memoirs because Sister Lucia herself felt it wasn't appropriate yet for it to be revealed. It was revealed in the year 2000 uh, by Pope John Paul II. So the third part, and I promise I won't do too much more reading, just this, these, these secrets are difficult to uh, summarize or ad-lib. I like to read them t- directly as they are in the memoirs. So here's the third part. After the two parts, which I have already explained, at the left of Our Lady and a little above her, we saw an angel with a flaming sword in his left hand. Flashing, it gave out flames that looked as though they would set the world on fire but they died out in contact with the splendor that Our Lady radiated towards him from her right hand. Pointing to the earth with his right hand, the angel cried out in a loud voice, Penance, penance, penance. So we see this call, very clear call to penance. Again, one of the enduring messages of Fatima is that we we need to do penance. Continues, she says, And we saw... In an immense light that is God, something similar to how people appear in a mirror when they pass in front of it, a bishop dressed in white. We had the impression that it was the Holy Father. Other bishops, priests, men and women religious, going up a steep mountain, at the top of which there was a big cross of rough-hewn trunks as of a cork tree with bark. Before reaching there, the Holy Father passed through a big city, half in ruins and half trembling with halting step, afflicted with pain and sorrow. He prayed for the souls of the corpses he met on his way. Having reached the top of the mountain, on his knees at the foot of the big cross, he was killed by a group of soldiers who fired bullets and arrows at him, and in the same way there died one after another, bishops, priests, men and women religious, and various lay people of different ranks and positions. Beneath the two arms of the cross there were two angels, each with a crystal aspersorium in his hand in which they gathered up the blood of the martyrs and with it sprinkled the souls that were making their way to God. All right. So these are the three parts of the one secret, right? And as you can tell, especially the third secret, there's a lot more sort of apocalyptic sort of, uh, and, and symbolic sort of language that is much more difficult to interpret precisely what it means. Even in hindsight, even 100 years later, it's a difficult interpretation to make. This is the reason why the secret was not revealed as early as the first and second parts, okay, or the first and second secrets. Um, and it's really because John Paul II realized that this has something important. There's something important about this message uh, that he had it released in the year 2000. In 1981, on May 13th, which is the first apparition date, May 13th, 1917, on that very day, uh, May 13th, 1981, uh, there was an assassination attempt on uh, St. John Paul II. And according to his secretary, this led him to begin to be interested in the Fatima apparitions. He knew about the story of Fatima and knew about the apparitions, of course, growing up, but he wasn't, you know, super interested in studying the secrets or anything like that. Um, When he was nearly assassinated on May 13th, he realized, maybe I should pay some attention to this. Um, 
and he began to look look at the third part of the secret this this part about the holy father you know being shot uh by bullets and arrows and 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 the, all this you know halting with uh half trembling with halting step afflicted with pain uh he began to see that there may be some sort of connection to his own pontificate there not that it's a one-to-one picture but that there's some sort of spiritual meaning here and this again goes back to this public revelation versus private revelation and the question of prophecy cardinal ratzinger pope benedict says in releasing this secret in 2000 we don't have to look for a one-to-one correspondence between a vision and reality as if it's a a picture but rather look for the the spiritual core of the message um, in interpreting it so john paul ii became convinced that our lady of our lady and in particular our lady of fatima really is important for understanding the 20th century and that she shows us the true wisdom of 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 the message um being spiritual but that also there is a historical dimension to it so he says of you know he famously says of his assassination attempt there was one hand that guided the that pulled the trigger another guided the bullet and he really thinks that he really thought that Mary saved his life that day because the assassin, uh, as as he said on his own accord, the assassin said, "I shot to kill," and he knew what he was doing, um, but but he missed. So these are the secrets. But notice that within, or the the secret, the three parts of the one secret, within it is the revelation of the Oh My Jesus prayer. And this is what I want to spend some time closing closing out the episode with, a little bit of meditation on this prayer. So Mary, at every occasion in the uh, apparitions of Fatima, tells the children to pray the rosary, and on many occasions says to pray the rosary every day. And on July 13th, says not only should you pray the rosary every day, to bring peace to the world, to stop Russia from, you know, uh, spreading its errors, to end this war. But you should also say in the midst of the rosary, at the end of each decade, these words, O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. There's something really profound about this simple prayer. First, remember the audience. These are three young, fairly pious children uh, before the apparition started, they used to pray the rosary out in the field uh, while they were tending their sheep. The way they prayed the rosary was to announce the name of each prayer and move on. So, it, you know, they they at least had good intentions. So they would just say, Our Father, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, and count through it like that and be done in a minute and a half. But they knew that at least they should be trying to pray, right? This is the uh, the, the message. So who is this prayer given to? It's given to children. Children who in the gospel are presented to us as the ones we need to be like. And what is so endearing about children is the way that they are able to trust their father and their mother, right? The way they go to their parents. You ever seen a little child running, something's happened, they run to their to their parents and they, they lift their arms up to be picked up, right? They can trust. They have this beauty, this this, this trust in their in their parents. So look at the language. Oh my Jesus. This is the language that is comfortable for children to say, like, that's my daddy, my brother, my sister, my toy, right? But my daddy. I love to do this with my daughter, Carol, who's two, you know, to, to, to say my Carol, and she says my daddy, and it's this cute sort of, you know, joking thing we do. But that's the language that children 
naturally are drawn towards. This possessive familiarity with their parents. This is the language that's natural to those children at Fatima that Mary addresses to them, but says, tell everybody about this, right? Lucia's mission is to tell everybody what happens at Fatima and to tell them to pray this. Oh my Jesus. What's so powerful about this is it it introduces into an adult life this childlike simplicity and endearment toward our Lord. That he's not just Jesus, he's not just the Lord, he's not God Almighty, although he is. He is my Jesus. In other words, it's a reminder to me when I pray this prayer that I am a son. I am a child in God's eyes, and Jesus is in a certain way mine. Not uniquely mine, he's everyone's Jesus, but that I need to grow and increase my comfort with prayer in this sort of childlike intimacy. And it is not an easy thing to do. You become a grown-up, you know, it's really hard to think of yourself as a child and to talk to God like a kid. You ever see a little kid pray? It's the most beautiful thing in the world to just ask them what they want to pray for, who they want to pray for. They always surprise you, and it's always beautiful. This little oh my Jesus thing thrown in there at the end of the rosary, at the end of each decade, gives us grown-ups an opportunity to recapture and reclaim our proper identity before God as children. So it, it may seem, oh, oh my Jesus, whatever, you just go right past it. But you need to reflect on and try and enter into the meaning of those words and the audience for them initially. How comfortable those little kids would have been saying, oh my Jesus, we need to get ourselves into that same spirit because two of them are saints, right? Part of becoming a saint is as identifying appropriately what our relationship is before God. And this childlike simplicity is what's called for in the gospel. And this opening line, oh my Jesus, can help move us into that mode. Now, the next line, forgive us our sins. That is one of the hardest things to say in this world, in this culture and context, is that we have sinned. Notice, it's forgive us our sins. The children of Fatima are supposed to be praying for other people, and they do, but they also have to remind themselves of their own sins and how easy it is for us today to forget our own sins. It's so easy to try and delude ourselves into thinking, we're okay. I'm okay. I don't have any problems. This prayer, if you take it carefully, I'm not saying it's always the easiest to do this. I'm not saying I always do it perfectly myself. But if you really try and mean each word, ooh, to say forgive us our sins is significant. Also think of this. This is... There's a similar line in the Our Father, right? Our Father, forgive us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, though. Or sorry, in the Hail Mary. See, my prayers are so good. In the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, right? We're identifying ourselves as sinners. This is another chance for the children to remember that they are sinful. And it's not that children need lots of reminders of that, but boy, 
do grown-ups need those reminders, right? This is not just a prayer for little kids, although that's who it's first given to. It's for us, for all of us. And I challenge you to say, forgive us our sins regularly and have it make no impact on you. It really can. Oh, my Jesus, that intimacy, forgive us our sins. I'm a part of the problem. Maybe the biggest part. It's me. Francisco, on his deathbed, says that he thinks maybe his own personal sins were the ones that were causing Jesus so much trouble that Mary, that he sent Mary to come and warn us about the path we were on as human beings. That's the vision of a saint towards his own soul. Save us, the next line, save us from the fires of hell. Notice again, save us from the fires of hell. Like, we, it could happen. You may go to hell. Hopefully not. But it's something we need to not blithely forget and think, oh, this is not a problem, not a, not a possibility. No, it is. Save us from the fires of hell. Then we go move to praying for others. Lead all souls to heaven. So first it's focusing on ourselves, sort of the you know, vertical dimension of prayer, me and Jesus, forgive my sins, save me, save us from the fires of hell. It's it's both me and others when we say forgive us our sins, save save us from the fires of hell. But the, the next line is lead all souls to heaven. You really begin to expand. In other words, this prayer sort of unites the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of our faith. Lead all souls to heaven, right? This At one and the same time, we are saying, Save us from hell, because it's a reality, and lead all souls to heaven. They're like, that's where everyone is really meant for. That is, everyone's proper destination is to, to be in heaven. Right? If you follow the will of God, we need to hopefully make that happen, because we have free will, and we can, we can turn away from it. I love the last line here, and we'll, we'll close out with this. Especially those in most need of thy mercy. And this is one of the, the paradoxes of the spiritual life. Uh, this is what uh, Bishop Barron sometimes refers to as spiritual physics, which is a, a great term. Who is the most in need of God's mercy? It is not the saint. The saints are the most aware of their need for mercy, although their actual need for mercy is, is pretty low. Right. Look at St. Therese of Lisieux, for instance, who never committed a mortal sin in her life. She was painfully aware of all of her imperfections. Sister Faustina, St. Faustina, same thing. Not impressed with herself as a, as a model to be followed. But it's precisely because she knew that, that we should follow her, right? She knew her limits. Who are those in most need of thy mercy and most need of God's mercy? They are the people least aware of it. It's precisely because they don't know that they need God's mercy that we really need to pray for them. And this is what you see in the lives of St. Francisco, St. Jacinto, and in probably St. Lucia eventually. They were consumed with trying to prevent other people from stumbling into hell because they didn't know that they needed God's mercy. They talk amongst themselves about people who were, you know, struggling with, with terrible sin but didn't even know it's sin. The greatest sin of the 20th century, right, is the lack of the awareness of sin. 
So praying for those in most need of thy mercy is a really powerful prayer because it helps us to pray for those that need the, the mercy of God, but that but don't even know it, aren't even aware of it. When I was in the seminary uh, for a couple of years, I was at a Benedictine Abbey, St. Joseph Seminary College, in uh, on the north shore of, of uh, New Orleans in Louisiana. There was a monk there, Father Dominic. When you went to confession with Father Dominic, his penance for everybody was the same every time. He would say, pray for the seminarian who needs the most prayers. That could be yourself, or it could be someone else. We don't know who it is. God knows who needs the most prayers. So we would have everyone who went to confession for him, with him, praying for whoever needed prayers the most. And this is what Mary does here. Especially pray for those in most need of God's mercy. And those who are in the greatest need of it have the lowest level of awareness of it. Right? That I'm okay, you're okay sort of thing. Sort of we're not, we're really not okay. We need to remember that. And this short, simple prayer helps us to do that. Um, so if you would, if you want a little bit more structured reflection on this Oh My Jesus prayer, uh, you can pick up the Oh My Jesus, The Meaning of the Fatima Prayer. It's a book that I co-authored with Stephen Bullivant, who's a professor of theology at St. Mary's University um, in uh, Twic- Twickenham, as uh, I've been told to pronounce it, Twickenham. And uh, it's available in our store at the St. Philip Institute website, um, stphilipinstitute.org slash store. Uh, thank you for uh, joining me for this episode. I hope that it was helpful. Uh, and t- to, again, tie together what we talked about, you know, the importance of private revelation as an aid that is offered, but it's not mandatory. We still should use prudence, though, and, and, and explore it. Then we talked a little bit about the secret, the three-part secret, uh, lots to to reflect on there, and uh, I'll give you some good book recommendations in the show notes. And then we talked about, at the end, this Oh My Jesus prayer. And so my Into the Chariot moment with, with uh, recommendation for you would be, take the Oh My Jesus prayer and pray it as slowly as you possibly can, and try just once to mean each of those words with the depths of your soul, like a little child would would be able to mean them and say them. It's a very challenging thing, and I, I uh, recommend it very heartily. So uh, follow us on Facebook. <laughs> if we can get our Facebook to cooperate with us also, uh, our YouTube channel, St. Philip Institute, uh, follow the podcast. And thanks for joining us. God bless you. The Lord be with you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.